Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Leadership Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Easter. I'm an executive coach and a strong advocate of superior leadership. On this podcast, we explore the essence of leadership through interviews and dialogue and provide you with tangible steps you can take to improve your leadership performance. As a best-selling author, John Maxwell says, leadership is about one life influencing another. The stories, experiences, and wisdom you hear throughout each episode will inspire you to step up, lead, and influence those around you. I would like to welcome you to today's episode of the Healthcare Leadership Excellence Podcast. Today's guest you are going to love. And let me give just a little background on how the world works here. So a couple of months ago, I'm up in the Wasatch Mountains of Utah at the Brigham Young University Family Camp. And one of the lectures is Dr. Ben Ogles. And my sister went to the lecture and found it marvelous. So she introduced the two of us and I talked to Dr. Ogles and he was kind enough. And those of our listeners will recognize that he gave an episode just a couple of weeks ago. And as he closed up the episode after the recording was off, I asked him if he would be willing to give another episode on resilience since that was one of the talks up at the retreat. And he said, I'd love to, I could, but there is someone better that I know that was really an expert on this topic. And so I had the delightful opportunity of speaking with Dr. Jared Warren, who is a PhD in psychology and works in the psychology department at Brigham Young University. And he introduced me to probably one of the most exciting websites I have ever seen. It'll be in the show notes. It's mybestself101.org. It is just a smorgasbord of teaching and insights on resilience. Further, Dr. Warren, I don't know if it's your day job or your nighttime job, but he is an outstanding nature photographer. So all the photographs on the site are his work also. So it is just a delight to welcome Dr. Jared Warren to our episode today. Doctor, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Carl. And so as is our norm, as we start these, if you just could give us a few minutes on what's brought Dr. Warren to this point in his career, I'd also love to find out how you got so good at photography. So give us a little background. Sure. So I'm trained as a clinical psychologist, and my work focuses on a number of areas under this umbrella of what we call positive psychology, which is really just the science of well-being. And under that umbrella, a lot of specific topics like mindfulness and resilience and gratitude and savoring. I do a lot of research and um, training in those areas. So as a, as a clinical psychologist, I do maintain a private practice, but most of my time I teach at the university, at Brigham Young University. I train graduate students who are learning to become clinical psychologists in our clinical PhD program. And I do research, and it's all about how do we connect people to the best, best evidence, best resources to help them live a, a full, rich, meaningful life. And 
yeah, I feel like it's been fun to combine my training in clinical psychology and positive psychology and mindfulness. And you mentioned the photography. Interestingly, there's some overlap because maybe 12 or so years ago, I, uh, I'll say briefly, I had an experience at Bryce Canyon National Park. I was going out to do some photography. I just bought a new camera and thought I'd see what it was like to catch the sunrise. And in that experience, it was kind of transformative. It was, I, I actually noticed in my experience photographing the sunrise and watching the light, you know, bounce off the hoodoos and this surreal kind of glow. I recognized in my experience what I'd been reading about from a positive psychologist named Sonia Lyubomirsky. She, in fact, a, a book I frequently recommend, she has a book called The How of Happiness. And in that moment, that sense of immersion in the experience, I recognized what she was describing in terms of flow and mindfulness and this beauty that came from the experience. And a couple of things happened. I think a switch kind of flipped in my mind. And I thought, number one, I, I need more of this in my life. And that was kind of a cue for me to dive in more to the science of well-being, the science of positive psychology. And I kind of shifted my professional research focus more toward positive psychology at that point. And yeah, the photography, that became an opportunity for mindfulness, an opportunity for flow, and has spent lots of beautiful experiences out in nature, sometimes with family members and friends, sometimes on my own. And um, it's been a beautiful, rewarding hobby that kind of overlaps with these topics of positive psychology and mindfulness. Excellent. There's so many times I read in different, even business publications, the encouragement of there's something about getting outside in nature uh, that seems to be a switch for many people. So we're going to divide this into two episodes because there's just too much to talk about in one. You sent me over a YouTube clip on Friday, and one of the lead quotes is, no man is, it's from Seneca, no man is more unhappy than he who never faces adversity, for he is not permitted to prove himself. Right now, coming out of, you know, 30, 40 months of pandemic, we're on the other side of it now. Leaders have a real unenviable task of inspiring employees in very challenging times. And we read about positive psychology and resilience and flourishing. What are your definitions of those? You can add to those or detract, whatever. But what are your definitions and how do they affect the worksite? Great. Yeah. <laughs> of course, we could spend at least an hour on each of those individually. So we'll just start with the highlights. So positive psychology is basically the science of well-being. So it's this umbrella term that has to do with, you know, how do we live our best life possible? And Martin Seligman is a psychologist that some are familiar with. He was the president of the American Psychological Association a number of years ago, and he made positive psychology the emphasis of his presidency, saying that historically in psychology, we've really devoted most of our resources to what it looks like when people are struggling, when they're suffering, 
And okay, so how do we help people who are experiencing significant depression and anxiety and addiction? And that's been great. In psychology, we've developed a number of approaches that really do help people with those challenges. But there's this recognition that there's more to life than just the absence of psychopathology, absence of struggle, you know, absence of, you know, clinical psychiatric issues. We want meaning. We want we want purpose. We want fulfillment. And so positive psychology is this science of studying strengths and virtues of people. What are the factors when a person is really flourishing? You know, what accounts for that? And really, what can we do to help a person wherever they are on that spectrum of well-being, all the way from struggling up to flourishing? And so resilience, to kind of continue with this, is this ability to adapt in the context of significant adversity. That's kind of a textbook definition. So you've got challenge and you've got uh, overcoming that challenge. Some people also use the term resilience as a kind of marker of like being able to bounce back or a kind of invulnerability, like people that are just able to get through difficult circumstances and, and get through uh, successfully, whereas others might crumble under that pressure. So resilience is this, it's a normal human phenomenon. It's pretty common actually. And, you know, we talk about the things that go into it, but, you know, essentially if you're asking about definitions, just to get us started, it's this ability to rise above our challenges and to continue in a, in a healthy way. So, so related to that, so you've got the question of flourishing and maybe I'll come back to that idea of this range of human flourishing. And in my field of clinical psychology, most of our focus is on people and maybe that lower 30% who are really struggling. Maybe they meet DSM criteria for a, you know, a clinical psychiatric disorder. Um, they're struggling and it's impacting their life. It's impacting their work. And those are the people that tend to be the ones that as a clinical psychologist I work with. But then you've got this middle range along this spectrum of a normal distribution of human well-being. And in the middle range, there are people who, and this could be about 50, 55% of the population, they, they're getting by, but they're not flourishing. They're in a position where it wouldn't take much with a new challenge or difficulty or a setback to knock them down into that suffering, struggling clinical range. And so it's a little precarious. And there's an author, Adam Grant, who's talked about this range. He's used the word languishing. So they're not flourishing. They're getting by and kind of struggling. They're keeping their head above water, but just barely. And it's a risky situation to be in because like we said, it wouldn't take much with a setback or bad news or, or a difficulty in life to knock them down into that suffering, struggling range. And then you've got this group at the very top. And depending on how we slice it up, maybe 10 or 15% of our population really fits in this range of flourishing where, and, and here's the definition maybe we could use that flourishing is when a person is able to use their circumstances and resources 
to really live a full, rich, meaningful life. They're making the most of the opportunities and circumstances that they have and they're loving life. They're, they're flourishing. They've got beautiful relationships. They are learning and growing and they're in a position to really help the people around them. And we would love to get more people in that range. We would like to figure out, again, wherever a person is on that continuum of well-being, what can we do to support them and get them up even higher? And then uh, kind of coming full circle back to positive psychology, that top 10 to 15% of people who are flourishing, what can we learn from them? What can we learn from what they're doing, their habits, their interests, their relationships, how do they spend their time? And, you know, you, you think about, this is kind of also in the context of positive psychology, but the possibility of, of peak experiences, you know, each of us can reflect on our, on our lives and think of a handful of just really meaningful, beautiful experiences. And, and those kinds of peak experiences, gosh, those are, those are memorable. They're meaningful. They're the kinds of things that make life worth living the experience I described at Bryce Canyon at the beginning, I mean, that's that's in my you know greatest hits of peak experiences. And so how do we create more of those? And, and what are the conditions and circumstances that allow those peak experiences to emerge? And yeah, what do we what do we learn from them when they do happen? So yeah, that's a good starting point maybe for those terms. Excellent. So you you said a key item here. One of my favorite books is, and I can never pronounce the author's last name, but it's Flow, The Psychology of Optimum Experience. Chick sent me high. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I knew you'd come through for me there, doctor. It's just, I've had those experiences where time collapses, everything's flowing. My work just goes through the roof. I am ridiculously productive but that's anecdotal and i'm a case study of one what does the research show if we had to give a definition to the characteristics of resilient thriving flourishing people what would those be yeah yeah and that's the you know, billion dollar question in, in positive psychology. That's what we try to figure out. What are those characteristics, circumstances, conditions that sort of allow a person to flourish, to be resilient? So there's a list and there's, you know, thousands of research studies that have asked that question. And we can acknowledge that even ask, asking this question and the question itself has been a focus of interest for thousands of years, you know, even, you know, back to the Greek philosophers and before. And so I think to summarize what appear to be in these top three to five of greatest hits of resilience and flourishing, it's definitely the case that the quality of our relationships matter. So a sense of connection, sense of belonging, people have the good life, we would say, is built on good relationships. So it's the quality of those relationships, even though you know the actual structure of a person's support network, that can look differently and work well across different individuals in terms of personal preference. But good quality relationships, a sense of belonging, 
a sense that whatever comes up, and this, this is critical for resilience, this perception that whatever challenges come up, you've got people that you can rely on to help with whatever those needs are likely to be, whether they're emotional support or more practical or, or other kinds of support. So that I would say is a central pillar of human flourishing and resilience. And we could kind of get more into some of the nuance of that, including a sense of, you know, our sense of connection and, and how we contribute to the well-being of the people around us, the sense of interconnectedness. I think when we're doing this well, it's it's definitely not just a self-focused pursuit. It's more of a, a we consideration than just, you know, what's good for me. And I guess just parenthetically, I think there could be implications as we're thinking about, you asked, you know, applications for uh, the workplace. And we often see as being a component, a sense of you're part of a system and, and your contributions to that system matter. And so actually the well-being of people around you is also important. But um, yeah, so maybe that's a central pillar having to do with our connections, our relationships, our sense of compassion and care for others. So that's probably one of the most consistent factors. So I'll say too, just kind of to orient us, there appear to be you know different layers and levels of um, what contributes to resilience. So there are some you know personal factors that we tend to focus on these because we think there's something we can do about these. So yeah, our relationships, our, our habits, our thinking habits. So research around, you're familiar with the term growth mindset, more some research around optimism, you know, how a person sees the world, how they see challenges and, you know, how our perceptions of what happens to us and our capacities to manage events that happen to us, those perceptions of our own abilities matter a lot. So it's a kind of thinking habit uh, that um, people have who are resilient, a sense that, okay, this is something that's hard and I have the capacity to learn how to get through this. A related concept that we add to this short list is what we call self-efficacy. And that's just confidence in a person's ability to be successful in a given area. So kind of mapping onto, I guess, a person's thinking habits, their perceptions of, of their capabilities, that's really important. And I'll kind of use that to segue into kind of another big category that has to do with perspective. So you, you mentioned the My Best Self 101 website that I and my team use for training and, and research and teaching others about these factors of resilience and flourishing. And there's a whole column that has to of topics that has to do with perspective, how we see the world, how we see ourselves. So a big topic under this column is mindfulness, which we may spend some time on together. And that just has to do with our awareness of our own internal experiences, awareness of our relationships, our interactions with others. It's a healthy awareness of our thoughts, emotions, and experiences that gives us some flexibility to see how to act in the most healthy ways. So there's a lot of 
a lot of content around that topic of mindfulness, perspective, awareness that really contributes to people's resilience. Perfect. I think for, as I mentioned to our listeners, this is way too much for just one episode. We want to split it up so it hits your time better. So we're going to wrap this episode. Thank you, Dr. Warren, for giving us a depth because so many times we need to be more resilient and we don't have a clue as to what that means. And it actually makes us feel very unpositive in our psychology because there's no traction, but you've given us some traction today. And in our next episode, we're going to dive into, I know one of your favorite areas and one that I think has a lot of misconceptions around it, and that is mindfulness. So thank you for your time today. And we will see you on episode number two in just a couple of minutes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you found it valuable for the work that you do. If you did, please do us a favor of leaving a review on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is vital in helping us enhance our content and reach more listeners like you. Furthermore, if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please share the link with them. And if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to us on LinkedIn or through our website at coachinggroupinc.com. Thank you again for listening. Until we meet again, keep learning and leading with excellence.